0: The vision received was that of blood cells, traveling throughout the body, supplying the much-needed oxygen and other nutrients to the differing members of the body to fulfill their purpose. Once the blood cells are spent, they must return back to the heart to be refilled before being sent out again and fulfill their purpose. Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Good to be with you again. Um... I guess uh what I'd like to do today is uh kind of uh do a little connect the dots in the scriptures. Uh we're going over a Bible study in our house. Uh it's called the Walk Through Acts. And uh we're looking at some things and I guess that's where it kind of influenced me to go in this direction um when I was seeking the Lord as to what to share this week. So, we're, for the most part, going to be in the book of John. So if you want to know where to be, be in the book of John, and you'll be fine. Um, and the first dot is just highlighting, or the first few dots, is to just highlight some of the things that I see as a theme in the Gospel of John. Um, you know, Matthew has his theme, and Mark has his theme, and Luke has a theme, and John has a particularly diff- not, not totally different, but just a, a, a different theme, or a different aspect that it focuses on, in regards to Jesus' ministry and his time, uh, in the days of his flesh here on earth. And when John, uh, writes it, he begins, in chapter one obviously, by saying, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And if we go to verse 12, just to, just to kind of focus on what I, what I feel is the theme. Actually we can go to 10, 12 and 14. But 10 says he was made in he was in the world, the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came into his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him to them he gave them power to become the sons of God, even them to believe on his name. And that's kind of the first highlight. He talks about the word He talks about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, but the Word was God. And this Word became flesh, and dwelt among Him. He came into the world, and the world didn't know Him, and the world didn't receive Him. But as many as did receive Him, He gave them power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. So the key for me in that, in that particular scripture, because of the theme that, that I see going on, is that word believe. They, because they believed on his name, because they received him, that was another synonymous term used, those that received him believed on him, and those that received and believed on him had power, were given power to become something that they are not right now. They, be, they, they had power to become the sons of God. And it says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth. And so in that particular verse, we then realize, Oh, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus who became flesh. But then there's another particular scripture that speaks of Jesus. And so I want us to consider John three. Because there's this theme that I feel started in one, and, and as you continue to read the whole book of John, maybe you will see the same theme. There's this there's this prof- prophecy that's that's coming out, such as in the old covenant. What was the major prophecy? Anybody? What was the major prophecy of the old covenant? Hmm? That's right. The coming of Christ, the coming of the Messiah, this promised one, this anointed one, this one that was going to rule and reign on the earth and and just do all these marvelous, magnificent things. But there's another prophecy that was just as important. I wouldn't say more important, I wouldn't say less important, but just as important. There was another prophecy. And so it it, kind of has to do with the fact that he was going to come and people were going to receive him and then have power to become the sons of God. So Jesus meets a man in the middle of the night, his man is Nicodemus, and he begins to talk of Nicodemus, of this theme that I see kind of being fleshed out as you read the book of John. And and, and Nicodemus says to him, we know that you're a teacher that comes from God. We know that no man can do these miracles unless God be with him. And so there was a limit to his understanding. But at least he had the he had some inkling because he knew that, my God, no nobody could do the things that you're doing unless God was with him. And so I focus on that with him part. So Jesus then, in his, his very unique and, and, and magnificent way, he, he, he almost kind of changes the subject about himself. And then he begins to minister. He says, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Here he's got Nicodemus, you know, lauding him a little bit and and, and recognizing his, his stature, his prominence in the world in a very secretive way because he came to him at night. He didn't do this in the daytime. And then all of a sudden, Jesus just changed the subject and says, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so I think that would catch his attention. Oh, okay, I'm talking about you I'm talking about, uh huh, what? Me? Born again? What? What, what are you talking? So he says, how can, wait, how can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter into the womb of his mother a second time? So obviously he's thinking of a natural birth. He's already been born. He's already, what, of age. He's probably, probably beyond 30 years of age because he's a Pharisee. He says, how does a man born again? And so Jesus answered, because now he's got his attention, and he says, now he stays focused on this. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man and be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so th- there's that 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 Jesus is bringing out the Spirit. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Obviously, focusing on how Nicodemus interpreted what he said. That which is born of the flesh, out of the mother's womb, that's flesh. But I'm not talking to you about that. I'm talking to you that which is born of the spirit. And so he's trying to get them to understand things in spiritual terms. Don't, don't marvel, don't be in wonder as like, that I said, be born again. He said, and then he starts describing, I don't want you to be confused, I don't want you to be marveling at this, but, the, you know, the wind, it blows wherever it goes, where it listeth, it says, and you hear the sound thereof, but you can't tell whence it comes and whether it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And we know, because we've read further, we know because we, we, we study the Bible, that that's how it was described in Acts chapter 1. It came as a rushing, mighty wind and cloven tongues of fire Fell on them. Didn't know where it came from. Didn't know where it was going. But it came, just like the wind. And you hear the sound thereof. He says, you hear the sound thereof. But so are those that are born of the Spirit. And so there's a major connection between what Jesus just said here and and this fulfillment in Acts chapter 1 of a major prophecy. Not just that Christ was going to come but that God was going to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. That, to me, was just as important as Christ coming in the flesh. Because God was going to establish a new covenant. And so when Jesus speaks of that, there's something that John said of Jesus in the end of John chapter 3. He's speaking of, of Jesus, and he says, For he whom God had sent speaketh the words of God. John 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 says, the one whom God sent, he speaks the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. It's almost as if he's giving a statement and giving the reason why. He speaks nothing but by God's word. Why? Because the Spirit has been given unto him without measure, without limitation. For the Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into His hand. All things into the hands of His Son. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not on the Son Shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So I, 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 I'm trying to put together dots. I'm trying to connect dots here because it said that as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that what? Believe on his name. And so we can stop there and we can make this other doctrine that says all you gotta do is believe. All you gotta do is believe and you'll be saved. We need to go a little further, but there, there, there's something there. There's a connection there. It's only those that have, that believe on him, that receive on him, have power to become something different, something else entirely to them that they have been given power to become the sons of God. And so I continue reading in John chapter, uh, in this book of John, and then I get to John chapter four, and interesting enough, Jesus starts talking about the spirit again. Now the disciples had left. They had gone to gather meat, buy some food, and they leave him. And he's tired. It says that that Jesus was at Jacob's well and he was wearied from his journey. And he sat there at about the sixth hour. Anybody know when the sixth hour is? I'll tell you, it's about 12 o'clock in the middle of the day. The heat of the day, because the, the third hour is 9 o'clock in the morning, so the sixth hour is three hours later, 12 o'clock. So in the heat of the day, he's worried, he's tired, because all they did was walk. You do understand that, right? There were no bicycles. There were no cars. There were no cabs. There was no, uh, oh gosh, I just blanked on the name of the thing that you call that picks you up and takes you anywhere you want. An Uber. There was no Uber at that age. You know, they didn't have all of that. So um, obviously he's tired. And then a woman comes to the well. And he starts talking to her. Now this woman was a Samaritan. He was a half, she was a half Jew. You know, kind of like you, you nothing but a half brother. You're not a full blooded brother or full blooded sister. You know, you don't you have no part in the inheritance. So they kind of look down uh, on the Samaritans that way. And he says to her, give me to drink to a stranger <laughs> at a well that he could just have easily just done it himself. (laughs) But she comes to well and he says, give me to drink. Now he's not just taking advantage of the situation. He's not just looking down. Oh, she's a woman. She's supposed to do that type of thing. He's got a purpose for asking that particular question. Give me to drink. So the woman of Samaria said to him, how do you being a Jew ask drink of me? I'm a woman of Samaria. The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God. See, in my in my Bible, I underline that because I've read the Bible so much that that's something that's just grabbed my attention because I've seen it in other places. The gift of God. And who is it that sayeth to thee, Give me to drink? That would have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. And I and I underline that again, the gift of God and living water. So Jesus is saying, if you if you if you knew about the gift of God, which we we can kind of look real quick at the gift of God, maybe in uh, Acts chapter eight verse twenty, he says, if you knew about the gift of God and who it is that you're talking to, and if you were to ask who it is that you're talking to, give me to drink. You would have gotten living water. Those are very interesting uh, notions. In Acts chapter 8, verse 20. I thought he was going to turn there, but I'll turn there myself. In Acts chapter 8, 20, it says, Peter said unto him, Remember Simon the sorcerer? Everybody remember Simon the Sorcerer? What did he want to do? He wanted a He wanted a buy. He wanted a purchase with money. Something that Peter had just done, or that he thought Peter had just done, Peter just simply went there, laid his hands on him, and all of a sudden, the Samaritans, remember the Samaritans? Well, this is the woman that she was just me, the Samaritans received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he was like, whoa, wow, here, some money, give me that power. I'm Simon the Sorcerer. And he said, and G- Peter said to him, your money perish with you, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. See, so I'm using scripture to help us interpret scripture because we really don't have a lot of indication here what the gift of God is. I mean, we're probably just as dumbfounded as the woman there. It's like, what gift of God are you talking about? Well, I just gave you a revelation. (laughs) There it is. Acts chapter 20. Peter, the apostle, is saying, the gift of God is what you now see and hear. What you see of these people, but you can't purchase it with money. What did Jesus just say to the woman? How do you get this gift of God? If you would just ask. Oh my God. No, it cannot be purchased. You want the gift of God? You want the Holy Spirit? You ask. It can't get any simpler than that. Just ask. The free gift of eternal life is Is received through believing and just simply asking. So the woman said, you don't have anything to draw from this well. How are you going to give me living water? Even if I were to ask you, you don't have a bucket. You have nothing in your hands. You're sitting here sweating and tired. Even if I were to ask you for this living water you're talking about, how are you going to give it to me? I'm the one that came with the bucket. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Kind of challenging him, which gave us this well and the drink thereof for his children and his cattle. And Jesus said to her, whosoever drinketh of the water, of this water, the one that you're talking about, the one that you're so hyped about that your ancestor Jacob did and fed his his children and, and fed his cattle with, you're going to thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him, it shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him. I I have to pause and look at the words, at the particular usage of some of these words. It will be in him a well of water springing into life everlasting. Now, for whatever reason, that right there caught her attention. And she said, Sir, give me this water. Something stirred up within her got her attention. Even though he didn't have a bucket, she came to realize he's not talking about this water. Living water. What, what? Well, give me this water then. If I'll never thirst again, give me this water. Maybe she was thinking of the fountain of youth or something. Something that I could drink and oh my gosh, I'll never die. It's the fountain of youth. But Jesus, notice his response she, he said to her, if you knew what the gift of God was, and you knew who you were talking to, you would have asked for this water. And so she now she asks, and so you would think, well, Jesus' response would be, I'm going to give her the water. But he doesn't. Look at his response. He said to her, go call thy husband and come hither. Why? This had nothing to do with your husband. This was a conversation between Jesus and, and a Samaritan woman. Why, why do I got to bring my husband into this? And the woman answered, "said I have no husband." Jesus said unto her, "Thou hast well said, you have no husband." You see, in order to get the living water, in order to get the Spirit of God, in order to get this gift of God. Something needs to be dealt with first in your life. Yeah, Jesus is going to give you the water freely, but it's going to cost you something, and it's not money. You must recognize that Jesus here is confronting the sin in your life first. When he confronts the sin in your life, then the question is, how do you respond? How did she respond? You're right, I have no husband. She didn't hide it. She didn't make up a story about something. No, she flat out just said, I, you're right, I have no husband. In order to receive the gift, there's a need for repentance. There's a need to acknowledge The truth. There's another scripture that says repentance to the acknowledgement of the what? The truth. And here she is acknowledging the truth. So he perceives something in this woman. His ministry is about the saving of souls. And that's what he's doing right now. And he's saving the souls by giving them a message about what? The gift of God. He said, truly you have no husband, you know, you, this husband that you're living with, you, he is not your husband. You've had five husbands. Whew. You look at that and say, wow, you've been around. But he's not doing it to condemn her. He's not revealing it to, to demean her. He's, he's getting to the root. He whom thou now hast is not thy husband and thou that said is truly. So he exposes not just the sin, but the depth of her sin. It's not that you had one husband or that you're not living with your husband. You've had five. You've had a lot of husbands. And what did she respond with? The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Was she offended? Was she angry, wrathful? How dare you speak to me this way? No. She was even more humble she recognized there's something special about him. So special that I think he's a prophet. And so Jesus starts talking about how, um, or she starts talking about, you listen, our fathers, we we worship in the mountain. And you said that we should worship in Jerusalem. It is a place where men ought to worship. And so Jesus responds to that change of kind of subject about worshiping. He says, woman, believe me the hour comes when ye shall neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father you don't you, you worship what you don't know. Wow we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews you could have been more offended at that but the hour cometh and now is See, the hour is like a period of time it's not like the next 60 minutes It's like the, the time has come, that it's not about you worshipping in the mountain or you worshipping in the Jerusalem. The true worshipers will worship the Father. Is he talking about location here? They'll worship the Father in spirit and in truth. They're talking about the state of an individual's heart. They will worship Him in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks those to worship Him. And then he says... Because God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's a lot right there for just one chapter. Again, I'm just trying to connect the dots. If you something that's piquing your curiosity, go back and study it. Okay, but that right there is a continuation to me of this theme, this theme emphasis that Jesus has, it started with John introducing it as to who he was and what would happen if you received him. And then John stating that, hey, this man has the spirit of God without measure. The words that he speaks are the words of God himself. And here he is speaking the words of God to a woman and they're having to do with the gift of God, the Holy Spirit. So I started seeing an emphasis that Jesus was emphasizing through his ministry as is recorded in John, uh, in the whole book of John. So let's look at what he said in John chapter 6. Unfortunately, um, many of the people that following Jesus during John chapter 6... Uh, They couldn't handle what he started talking about. Because they didn't understand what he was actually emphasizing. He started talking some crazy talk. He said, in verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread which I will give is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. Now here Jesus is talking some strange talk, but by revelation we realize Jesus was talking about, I'm about to sacrifice this body to redeem the whole world. They interpreted it as, he wants us to eat him? What? Okay, he may do miracles, but he's off his rocker now. It says after this that there were many that they left. They, they said, this guy's off the wall right now. I've heard a lot of things from him, a lot of things good, but now he's off the wall. He's crazy. He must be nuts. He must be insane. The Jews said amongst themselves, how can this man say, give us his flesh to eat? I'm not making this up, guys. It's right there. And Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, he doesn't hold back. I mean he goes I mean he goes right into it. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Mm, mm. To eat the bread is to to eat his flesh, to eat, he's the bread. Hmm. If I was there, I'd probably have a hard time receiving what he's saying. Honestly. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. Whoa. As the living Father hath sent me, I live by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. And so the revelation, guys, brothers and sisters, he's not talking about eating his flesh, but to eat the bread is to believe. If you look at verse 40, this is the will of him that sent me that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life and I will raise him up at the last day. See, he said that before. They need to believe on the Son. I promise I will raise him up at the last day. And so now when Jesus talks about eating the flesh and the blood, they totally forgot what he said previously. The eating of his flesh is believing on him. The drinking of his blood. I thought about that for a while. Doesn't the scripture say that the life is in... The the life of the flesh is where? In the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Anybody know what blood does in a body? Anybody? What does it do? It transports oxygen. Oxygen. Oxygen is the life that's need that the body needs. And it is the blood that brings it the oxygen. The blood is red because it's full of oxygen. The veins are blue because they lack oxygen. So where are they going? Back to the heart. And so he is saying that in order to have my life, you must drink of my blood but it's not talking about natural, it's talking about spiritual. What is the life of a body? What animated that body that was carved and fashioned out of the ground and the dew had gone on it? What gave it life? The Spirit of God gave it life. And then it became a living soul. Because the body without the spirit is what? Dead. So we start learning how to interpret spiritually what Jesus is saying. You must believe on me. You must believe on my words. And you can have eternal life. But you must drink of my blood. My blood is my spirit. Because... As equally as important as the Messiah needed to come into the world, so it was equally important that He pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. It is His Spirit that gives life to the flesh. And you can read about Ezekiel's uh, the dry bones. And that's another prophetic statement of, okay, you got the bones there, you got the people there, but there's no meat on them. There's no life to them. And it's the Spirit that gives life. And that's what you saw when all the meat start putting it all together. And so that's what the emphasis is on is in the book of John. So we go to John chapter 7. Connect another dot. It says, In the last day of the great day of the feast, verse 37, Jesus stood and cried, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. So he's using drink as a metaphor, the way that you drink naturally and you take in and you receive of the drink is how he wants to be received in your life. You drink in, you take in of the Spirit of God. He says, he that believeth, there's that word again, he that believeth on me as the scriptures have said, out of his belly shall flow livers of living water. So the living water that he spoke of in the past, when he was spoken to the woman at the well, he was talking about the Spirit. The gift of God was the Spirit of God. And he told that to a half Jew. But this spake he of the... And it tells you in verse 39, of the Spirit... The living waters is the spirit, which they that what? Believe on him should what? Receive. Oh, it's making a whole lot more sense now when I read John chapter 1. And he said, but as many as received him, to them he gave power. To become the sons of God. To them that believe on his name. So there's that connection. To believe is to receive. To receive is to receive what? The spirit of God. Because the spirit of God is what gives us power to become what? The sons of God. So there's this. Emphasis. there's this concern that I see in Jesus during the days of His flesh as He's ministering that they start getting ready to receive Him by the Spirit. Well, think about John the Baptist and his ministry. He was preparing the way of the Lord, right? And how did he prepare the way of the Lord? He was getting them to Repent! Get your heart ready. Get your heart clean. Because there's one coming after me who's mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to untie or to lose. He is going to come to baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit and fire. See, but even when John, when Jesus ministered to that woman at the well, I'm not just going to go out and pour out my spirit in you. I, you've got to deal with what? Your sin repentance, acknowledging the truth, the state of being where you are actually at now before I am trying to come into your life. So we go to John chapter 14, connecting another dot. Verse 10. John chapter 14, verse 10. He said, Believe thou me, he said this to Philip, Believe thou not that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Now, in the context of the Gospel of John, what does it mean when he says, the Father that dwelleth in me? Go back to what John said about Jesus. In Him was the Spirit without measure. Remember that? John chapter 37, 30, uh, 34 to 36. So when he said, the Father is in me, how? By the Spirit. It was the Spirit of God that was in the man, Jesus Christ. And he said, the Father that is in me, he doeth the works. All the works, all the miracles, all the healings, all the deliverances, it's because the Father is doing the work through me. He is attributing all of His miracles and all of His healings and all of the works, because that's the word that's used to to describe and generalize all of His mighty miracles, is that that's the Father working through me. He says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe me for the works sake. If you have a hard time believing that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, if that's too hard, listen, believe me for the works sake. Because you know that no man can be delivered from demons, unless it's God. You know that. No man can see that was born blind. You know that, unless it was God. No one but God does those things. You know that. So verily, verily, I say unto you, he that, what? Believeth on me. He's preparing hearts. To receive Him. Because without you recognizing who Jesus is, recognizing He is the promised one, He is the Christ, He is the Messiah, you're not going to be able to get the promise of the Father. Which is another term that's used for the gift of God. The promise of the Father. Another term. The blessing of Abraham. All of these were used in the past to refer to God pouring out His Spirit upon all flesh. So he's preparing their hearts. Believe on me. Believe on the works that I do. Or he says, if you believe on me, the works that I do, you will do. But you will do it even greater. Because what? Here's, the, here's, here's where we have to make those connections. Because I go to the who? Father. What did Jesus say? Jesus said a lot of things. But what did Jesus say specifically about this? He said, it is expedient for you, that I go away. Why? Because if I go away, I promise that I am going to give you my spirit. We'll get to that later. So he says it here. It's a crescendo. I kind of got ahead, but it's a crescendo here. Greater work shall I do because I go to the Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he shall give you what? Another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him for he what? Dwelleth with you. There's another key term. He's with you and shall be in you. How was he with you? Because Jesus is no different than his own spirit. You are no different than your spirit. So that's how he was with them. But it says, and shall be what? In you. So important to, to recognize. I'm with you, but I'm going to be in you. He's saying to the disciples. I will not leave you comfortless. I Listen to what he says. I will what? Come to you. You see he's using this comforter, this word comforter is one who comforts, one who uh um one who eases uh things for you, one who brings peace. He's also known as the spirit of truth and he says he dwelleth with you but he's going to be in you. And then he says, I'm not going to leave you comfort. I will come to you. He's putting it all together. He's not treating it as different things. He's saying, I'm going to come to you. I'm not going to leave you. Yes, I'm going to go away. I'm going to go to the Father. and You're going to see that. But I'm going to come to you again. And I'm going to be in you. Just like I'm with you right now. And it says, little while, the world doesn't see me, but you will see me, because I live, ye shall live also. And at that day, ye shall know that I am in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. A lot there having to do with the Spirit. A lot there because Jesus is really, really focused on preparing them to receive His Spirit. They didn't understand. Lord knows they did not understand during the days of the flesh. But they, but He's saying, when you won't see me anymore, He was talking about His death. I'm gonna die and you're not gonna see me anymore. But he says in verse 26 to continue on, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. You see, we got to put all this together. He was just called the spirit of truth. He was just called the comforter. He's been called the gift of God. He has now come the Holy Ghost. All terms meaning the same person whom the father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said. And the peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So let's take out another dot. John chapter 15. After he he says all of these things, he starts talking to them. Jesus uh, is talking to them about Abiding. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Like my father is the farmer, but I'm the vine. And every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. So I'm the vine. I'm the source. And there's a farmer in the, in the garden and he's looking for fruit. And you can't bring forth fruit unless you're attached to the vine because the vine is the source of life. And if there's branches that are not bringing forth fruit, the farmer's going to do what? Remove it. Get rid of it. It's not doing what I'm required to do. I'm a farmer. I'm supposed to be growing things. If I plant something and it doesn't grow, what am I going to do? I'm going to get rid of it. He's not doing his job. And so that's what he's going to do. And so he says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. Meaning he prunes it. He takes off all the fruit. Why? So that you would produce more because that's just what happens. You take off all the apples, you take off all the orange, you take off all the strawberries, and it'll start producing more fruit. Because that's what it does. Now he says, you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. See, he's now using the same words that he says, the Father in me, and I'm in the Father. And now he's using the same words with him and the disciples. Abide in me, and what? I in you as the branch cannot bear of itself, meaning a branch can't bear another branch of itself, it can only bear forth fruit, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine. What is Jesus saying? I am the source of life. I am the source that's going to bring about fruit. You must... Be in me. You must abide in me. The same will bring forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them, and well, what do they do with them? They cast them into the fire. Those are prophetic statements of those who will not come into covenant with Him. Those are prophetic statements of those who will not come and have a relationship and abide in Him. Because a covenant relationship means you're going to abide with Him. He is going to be in you and you are going to be in Him. This symbiotic relationship between the Father and the Son where they were actually one is exactly the type of relationship He wants to have with you. But He can only do it if He can get His Spirit into you which is why he needs you to get ready to receive his spirit. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what what you will and it shall be done unto you. So that's a promise. That's a promise right there, which has a condition. We can talk about the condition later. And then we have verse 10. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall, now he uses a different term, abide in what? My love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So by loving Him, we can ask whatever we will and it will be done. But that's the condition. Abiding in Him is not just hearing His words and agreeing with them, but walking in His word. And if we're walking in His word, then we're walking under the shadow of His wings, and He is going to protect us, and He is going to provide for us, and He is going to bring about everything in our life that we need, and even that which we ask for. So to abide in Him is to abide in His love but we abide in his love how we abide in his care we abide in his protection how by keeping his commandments so there's the condition so let's look at what he said at the end of John chapter 15 he said when the comforter is come here it is again he's bringing up the comfort again the spirit of truth he says, the comforter whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth. Again, he's saying who the comforter is. He's the Spirit of truth, which proceeded from the Father. He shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because you have seen me from the beginning. And I said this in our previous uh, teaching in our home. When did the disciples become witnesses? Or Maybe I said it last time I taught. I think I said it last time I taught. When did we be actually become Witnesses? When did the disciples actually become witnesses? It was on the day of Pentecost. You shall receive power and you shall become my witnesses. It happened on the day of Pentecost. Because they weren't witnessing of him before the pouring out of his spirit. I told our Bible study group, what were they doing? They went back fishing. They went back fishing. They lost their purpose. It was only when they received the Spirit of God that they then had kingdom purpose again. And so what else is this Holy Spirit going to do? We can look in the next chapter, 16, verse um, 5. And he, listen to his words. He says in verse 5, Jesus says, But now I go my way to him that sent me. And none of you ask of me, whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. I'm going my way. I'm going back to the Father. And none of you are asking me where I'm going. So he's saying I'm going away again, which is important to his theme of what he's been saying. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient. Here it is. For you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And what will he do? What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? He's supposed to convict the world. He's supposed to convict the world of sin. He's also supposed to show what righteousness is. And he's also supposed to show who has already been judged. The prince of this world has already been judged. So how be it when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will shew you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive a mine and shall shew it unto you. In other words, What was the relationship between what Jesus was doing and how he's connected to the Father? He only said what the Father said. He only did what the Father did. What is the Holy Spirit's work in our life? To show us what Jesus wants us to say and to show us what Jesus wants us to do. He's only going to reveal to us what Jesus wants. Why? It's so simple. Because Jesus and His Spirit are one. They're not different. To have the Spirit of God in your life is to say, I now have Jesus. It's not some other person. It's some other thing. It's not an it. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It is Him. The Holy Spirit is Jesus at work in you to perfect that which He hath begun a good work. And so we read, All things that the Father hath are mine, Therefore said I that I'll, that he shall take of mine and shall shew it unto you. A little while you shall not see me again. And a little while you shall see me because I go to the Father. And they were they were confused. What do you mean a little while? I'm not going to see you. And a little while I'm going to see you. What are you talking about? What do you mean by a little while? So Jesus said to them, Do you inquire among yourselves of what I said? A little while you shall not see me. And again a little while you shall see me. Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice and ye shall be sorrowful. What's he talking about? When was they crying and the world was rejoicing? Anybody? In Not yet. Way too far ahead. At the cross. At the crucifixion. That's when all the disciples were in sorrow. They lost their beloved and all the world was rejoicing. So he's explaining to them, in a little while you're not going to see me. But they didn't know he was talking about his crucifixion. Because they didn't have that re- understanding of revelation either, even though he was talking to them about that too. It says, but then he says, but your joy, oh excuse me, but your sorrow shall be turned to joy. Just like a woman when she's in travail and she's got sorrow because her hour has come, she's about to deliver the child, she's in tremendous pain and as soon as she delivers the child, the pain is gone. There's no more travail. There's no more sorrow. There's only joy at the birth of what has just transpired for a joy that a man is born into the world. So what's he talking about? resurrection the joy that he is alive now so he says now therefore have sorrow but I will see you again and your heart shall rejoice and your joy no man shall take from you anybody have the power to take away the Holy Spirit from someone no one has the power so no one should ever take away your joy And he says again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give it to you. So let's now look at, as we close, in John chapter 17, verse 20. By the way, most of this that we read in 14, 15, 16, 17 here, this was the night of the Last Supper. This was his last message to them. And he kept hitting the Comforter, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, whom I will send, I will send, I will be in you. He says, "One of the reasons why he, he he was going to send the Comforter, I believe, is here in verse twenty to twenty six. Yeah, neither pray I for these alone. Jesus is praying to the Father in verse uh, chapter seventeen, but for them also, which shall believe. Hear that word; it is again, and believe on me through their word." So here Jesus is saying, you didn't need to see me and believe on me only to have eternal life. You can believe on me through the words of the apostles and receive eternal life. You don't have to have literally seen me. Thank God. We we all be lost. But I want them to all be one. How? As the Father is in me and I in thee, that they may also be one in us. That's how we begin, that's how we Come into the oneness. That's how we come into a a spiritual oneness where it's no longer the Father and me, it's us together as one. That the world may believe that Thou hast sent me. See, the Spirit is going to convict the world. The Spirit is going to convict the world. It says that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. It's going to convict the world that Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah. They will, whether they like it or not, one day bow down their knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them. We're all the way back to John chapter 3. The Spirit was given to him without measure. And that was God's glory. That was the Father's glory. It was in the man Jesus. It says, we beheld his glory full of what? Grace and truth. And that same glory, the Spirit of God, I now give unto them. He's speaking prophetically. He's praying prophetically what is going to take place, what is going to happen. That they may be one, even as we are one. And I think, we'll get to that at the end. Yeah, we'll get to that at the end. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that may be one, as we are one. And I in them, and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one. This is all the work of why he needs to pour out his flesh to do these things that he is praying right now. Because he doesn't pray amiss, does he? If he prays it, it's because it's going to come to pass. It will not return to him void as we've said before. It will go out and it will accomplish exactly what he said it would do. The Spirit of God in us is to bring us into oneness with him and with all of us, all each other. All the brothers and sisters as one. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. I want them to be with me where I am. I don't want to stay here. I want it to be with me where I am. So he's talking about a future other work of bringing them to meet him in the clouds and to what? Be with him forever. forever. All of it connecting that they may behold my glory, which thou has given me for thou lovest me from the foundation of the world. O righteous father, the world hath not known me, but I have known thee. And these have I known that thou has sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it that the love, they are coming back to the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. Anybody ever consider Romans five five? Can you go there real quick? Anybody remember what Romans five five says? See, because he switched off from the Spirit of God and then he switched off to love and he like, said, abide in me and I in you, abide in my love and abide in the, you know, what does it say? The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by what? The Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit the whole time. When He's talking about His love, when He's talking about the Comforter, when He's talking about the Spirit of Truth, He's talking about the Holy Ghost in us. So, if you look at now, that we've kind of looked at what I see as a tremendous theme of Jesus throughout the book of John... Put it in context with what Matthew, Mark, and Luke ended with. The Great Commission. And what did he keep telling the disciples? Terry in Jerusalem. He said it in Matthew, he said it in Mark, he said it in Luke. He said it to them every single time you're reading, what did he end with? But Terry ye. Yes, these are the signs that follow. Yes, you're supposed to go out baptizing them in the name of uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Yes, you're supposed to go out and baptize them in my name. Yes, you're supposed to uh, deliver them and, and, and uh, cast out demons in my name. All of that has been said. But tarry ye in Jerusalem. Why? Till you be endued with power on high. What was he really referring to? Not that he wasn't referring to that. I was referring to what I've been telling you all along in the book of John, that I emphasized again and again and again that I want you to have my spirit in you. I want to be in you. So, this is my concern, this is my worry, because the importance of the Holy Spirit in us is just as vital as, as, as Jesus coming and doing what he needed to do in the days of his flesh. But see, I, I, I get the sense as I read the scriptures and I see what's going on in the world today and what's going on in the church that the church in the wilderness fell in the wilderness due to unbelief when they rejected the Father. Israel, I'm talking about in the days of Jesus, in the, in the days of His flesh, they fell again in unbelief because they rejected what? the word in the wilderness they rejected the father in the days of his flesh they rejected the word what did John start with in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word was made flesh they were talking about Jesus they rejected him and they fell in unbelief and the church in the new covenant is falling in unbelief of the Holy Spirit So let us not fall in unbelief rejecting the Holy Spirit. Let us not fall in unbelief as ancestors of ours did before in the faith. But let us recognize, let us acknowledge Him in all of our ways. Let us receive Him. Let us go back in the Word and study what is the work of the Holy Ghost in our lives so that we can start realizing He's going to talk to us. He's going to lead us. He's going to guide us into what? All truth. That's what He's supposed to do. If we let Him. Or we just so in unbelief that we blockade Him at every turn when He's trying to talk to us, when He's trying to tug at our hearts, when He's trying to lead us in this or that direction, when He prompts us, when He just prompts us in the Spirit to say or do something in the moment, to say or do it. Are we quieting Him? Are we resisting Him? Are we quenching the Spirit due to unbelief? Let us not fall in unbelief. Amen? Amen. Thus is the ministry of our Father's heart through us. Our utmost desire is to be in the Father's heart, to know the Father's heart, and express the Father's heart to you. If you appreciate listening to this podcast and were blessed, pass it along to someone else by text, email, or word of mouth in the hopes that they might be positively impacted as you were. If you are interested in supporting our efforts, we would ask you to consider the following 1. Pray for us. 2. Leave a positive rating or review with whomever you listen to our podcast with. And three, if you desire to contribute monetarily, you can do so at paypal.me slash jbenjesus or cash app, dollar sign, jbenjesus or Venmo, jbenjesus. That's j-b-e-n-j-e-s-u-s. God bless.